everyone, and a warm welcome to the next in our series of Employment Espresso Pods. Uh, as with all good coffees, depending on how we're feeling about a particular topic on any given day, we will be serving you up a variety of shapes, sizes and blends of coffee chatter, from short, strong, single espressos to triple shot grandes. Uh, today, we thought you might fancy a quick double espresso on the recent government consultation on the use and abuse of non-compete covenants in employment contracts. Today, joining Christine and me around the virtual coffee table, we have our senior associate, Nick Wright. Uh, morning, Nick. What's in your cup today? Hi, Tim. Um, given we're into May now, I hope to be on to an iced coffee by now, but I'm afraid I'm having to stick with the trusty Americano as it's rather cold in my basement this morning. Very good. Lovely. Uh, hopefully you won't be locked in your basement for too much of the day. Uh, Christine, what can we expect from today's topic blend? Hello everyone. Um, so I thought today we would talk a bit about the background to the consultation on uh, non-competes, uh, touching on what the government's aims are and uh, where some of those concepts have come from and our best guess on how it might all play out in due course. Um, but uh, before we get there, uh, last time we did this, Tim, Dave put you on the spot about, I think it was lateral flow tests. So I think it's my turn to do it today. Uh, so with a one or two minute challenge, uh, but certainly no more than two, can you give us a quick overview on employment restrictive covenants as where we stand today? There's your challenge. Certainly not one. Uh, I'll give two <laughs> a go, um, a 60 minute seminar in two minutes. OK, well, I enjoy a challenge. So here we go. Um, I might speak quite quickly. Uh, so when we're talking about post termination restraints, we're generally thinking of four or five main types of restriction that are intended to operate to prevent an employee from doing certain things in the period after their employment's ended. By that, I mean generally non-competes, non-solicits and non-deal with customers, non-solicits and non-employ of employees, non-interference with suppliers, and sometimes some of the more novel arrangements like anti-team move covenants. So the starting point is that all of these restraints are prima facie void as unlawful restraints of trade. So an employer's already 30 love down on that score. But that said, the courts are prepared to enforce certain restrictions on condition that they go no further than is reasonably necessary to protect the legitimate business interests of the employer. And that trips off my tongue a bit too easily because I've been doing this uh, for far too long. But anyway, if they do go too far, then they're void. They won't be rewritten by the court to make them more reasonable, uh, unlike some other jurisdictions perhaps with the limited exception of the blue penciling rule, but that will definitely take me beyond my two minutes, so I'm going to not talk about that. Uh, the relevant legitimate business interest that you're allowed to protect differs depending on which type of restriction you're looking at. For example, in a non-compete, you're protecting confidential information. In a customer covenant, you're protecting the customer connection that the employee's established. Uh, in an employee provision, you're protecting stability of the workforce and so on. But that means that there's no one size fits all and covenants need to be tailored appropriately to each employee's particular circumstances. And that's the bane of some of our clients' lives when they uh, ask us whether they can just push out standardized restrictions across the whole workforce. So that said, if you get the drafting right, uh, use it in the right situation. In the UK, there is no need to pay an employee in respect of the period of restraint. There's no obligation to pay salary or any percentage of salary. And that is a key differentiator to continental Europe. Uh, and as a general rule, uh, restrictive covenants are enforced by way of a mandatory prohibitive injunction, 
And that basically means that the court will order an employee to comply with the restrictions or they risk being in contempt of court. Don't know if we timed that. How did I go? Uh, but that's definitely me done for a sip of coffee to wet my whistle. Uh, Nick, throwing to you, uh, well, what's the government recently served up then? You know, I'll let you have that within two minutes, although I didn't have the timer going. Um, so in terms of the government consultation, um, we have just come out, the consultation has now ended and we're effectively waiting for the response with bated breath. So can you uh, give us a quick overview then, Nick, on what this looks like? What are the possibilities? Yes, no problem. In putting the consultation together, the government published its stated aims for any reforms uh, and they were exploring avenues to boost innovation, creating conditions for new jobs, and increasing competition. A definite sense of uh, the government looking to build back better after the pandemic. And out of the consultation paper, we can really boil down the government's aims to two key themes that are being considered as alternatives to the status quo. So the first option would be a set of changes really intended to make sure employers only seek non-competes where they really want them and need them, and are clear with employees about what it means to agree to a non-compete. One of the key parts of that theme is a possibility of introducing some form of mandatory compensation that would need to be payable during the restraint, whether that applies only for a non-compete or possibly some of the other types of restraint Tim mentioned, such as non-solicits and non-poaching. Uh, the consultation paper references and seeks views on compensation ranges of between 60 to 100% of average weekly earnings. The other aspect of that theme would be a focus on forcing employers to take steps to make sure that they're transparent with employees about non-competes, you know, what it means to sign up to one, and also points around how an employer can withdraw from a non-compete. Can it do so unilaterally or does it need to give notice? The second theme uh, in the consultation paper and the other alternative, I suppose, would be a complete ban on the use of non-competes in an employment relationship. And the consultation paper is clear that, you know, and seeks views on whether that should just be in employment contracts or whether it should also apply to other types of what the government refers to as workplace contracts, such as limited liability partnership agreements. All in all, either alternative would be a pretty drastic change to what has been the law for over a century. And I know that the partners in our team fed into the call for evidence in response to the consultation, generally looking at things from an employer's perspective. Christine, are you able to give us a quick overview of the key themes emerging, please? Sure. I think there haven't really been any material changes in relation to the concepts around non-compete covenants since the last time that the government called for evidence on this issue. So not, not a lot has changed in that sense. In particular, there's a, a wealth of jurisprudence around the enforcement of restrictive covenants, and it shows that the courts really do play a vital role in balancing these competing interests, so those of the employer and those of the employee, and that perhaps that is really where it should remain rather than having legislative intervention. And so policing the use and abuse of confidential information belonging to someone else is, is really difficult. And an absolute ban on non-competes isn't really going to help um, there. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there's a big issue in that sense. Um, employers and employees would, however, benefit from additional certainty in terms of some transparency and, and 
uh, clarity on costs for the enforcement of restrictive covenants. So, so about how you enforce these provisions rather than the, the drafting of them per se. Um, and finally, the you know there are comparisons with the civil law jurisdictions where, as Tim said, they require payment for restrictive covenants. But that's unhelpful because you're looking at very different systems. So in those systems, you may have collective bargaining arrangements at, at national industry levels and a, a far greater focus on worker consultation, um, which is quite different to the arrangements we already have in the UK. So you're not really comparing like with like in that sense. Thank you, Christine. I mean, that's a very helpful summary. You mentioned there at the top, this isn't the first time that the government's consulted on this topic. Uh, they did so back in 2016, and we also participated in that consultation. Uh, and we didn't hear back for over 18 months, at which point the proposals were largely shelved. And I suspect that with a focus on the need to rejuvenate the economy post-COVID and the desire to consolidate the UK's position after Brexit, as, as Nick hinted at, that's why we're seeing these issues coming around again. And as with last time, the themes being explored have been lifted from other jurisdictions like France, Spain and Germany. And if you take it to the very far end of the spectrum, California, where, as you know, non-competes in an employment setting, at least, are unenforceable and, and can, in some circumstances, be illegal. I and mean, I've always wondered about the paradox involved in, in seeking to promote competition, invigorate trade and free movement and, and boost innovation on the one hand. And, for example, the need for an entrepreneur to be able safely to invest in the development of a new product or service in the knowledge that the team she builds around it are, are not able to up and off and start up in direct competition the next day. I mean, surely that's very much the sense of protection that would encourage new businesses to start up in a particular jurisdiction. Yes, but I suppose the irony is if we look at California um, and particularly Silicon Valley, that is one of the world's largest hubs of technical innovation uh, in the world. Um, some of the largest companies in the world are there and they're not put off doing business simply by not having the protection of non-competes. Uh, my sense is that the government is keen to understand if that's the right way to go with Silicon Roundabout in the UK too. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well made. Um, but there are mixed views on that in, in California, particularly in terms of uh, the types of industry that those uh, restrictions uh, would generally play out to. And there's lots of chat about them being used in blanket areas of hospitality before, which is one of the main aims of putting that prohibition in place. Christine, sorry, I cut you off there. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say there's also the, the issue about internationally mobile employees. So we're looking at everything from the UK perspective. But if you've got agile and flexible working, particularly as you see it now during COVID, um, you know, having, you know, there may be some value in having some degree of consistency. So if continental Europe pay uh, consideration for covenants, perhaps it's helpful in terms of enforcement if we do the same. But of course, they are country specific as well. Uh, so some countries want specific percentages of consideration of, of money to be paid in respect of covenants. So it's unlikely we're going to have that panacea of consistency to make it easier to enforce across borders. Yeah, and definitely post-Brexit, that's going to be more challenging, getting agreement on that sort of thing. Um, we found quite considerable difficulties in, in trying to find a way to level up across all jurisdictions to ensure a, a set of... Um, post-demolition restraints that could be enforced, you know, with internationally mobile employees. It's a challenge our clients do face. So if these proposals do go ahead, 
uh, what's our best guess in terms of how they'll play out? How will they be implemented? I mean, let's assume for these purposes, a new obligation to make a payment in respect of non-competes. We think that might only apply prospectively to new contractors, uh, sorry, new contracts entered into after a particular date. Or do we think there might be a period of time during which employers will be required to make amendments to employment contracts to bring them into line with the new requirements? Well, I suppose thinking back to law school, you know, one of the usual principles is that laws won't have retrospective application. Um, that said, I think here we've got to remember that this is a public policy public policy consideration that the government's thinking about um, and there's clearly an agenda uh, behind the consultation. Yeah I suspect we'll find that we're in a position where we're given a lead-in time maybe a year or two before these provisions um, have to be you know be brought in line and be you know enforceable as at that point so probably get a bit of time. Uh, I, I genuinely love this topic um, I'd happily reach for a top-up um, but we promised our listeners a double espresso. We've probably tipped more into a lungo, to be honest. Um, and we can't be offering up a bottomless cup today. So probably time to wrap up. Um, before we do, in um, traditional style, Christine, what has made you smile this week? Um, well, Peppa Pig World, where I took my daughter last week, actually, um, when I was on holiday. It was great fun. Lovely. Uh, Nick? I think uh, I've been making the neighbours laugh because I've been having to run around in an inflatable blue dinosaur suit in an effort to uh, celebrate my uh, son's second birthday. Um, so they're probably a bit concerned for me. D delighted to see pictures of those if you're prepared to share. Um, Lucky it's a podcast. It <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was spending two hours planting out sunflowers in our garden with my sons at the weekend. Uh, and of course, that smile uh, very soon turned to a frown as the my, uh, 60 mile an hour winds visited on Monday uh, and did their best to tear down all of our efforts. But they are still standing, though, uh, and we'll take that as a win. Um, so that's it for us. Next time, we'll be embracing World Mental Health Week with a grand day uh, on some of our observations on the challenges that the pandemic has brought to the fore when considering mental wellness in the workplace. Uh, we'll catch you then. And don't forget to bring your favourite mug. Bye. Bye.